Hello, everyone. My name is JB with Not By Works Ministries. It is Friday, June 2nd, 2023, and I'm coming to you here from my studio beneath the sky nestled here in the tall timbers of Colorado and so delighted to have a guest who I'll bring on in just a moment who many of you will know. It's a, it's a, just a, a true honor. I feel like it's somewhat of a coup to have John Loeffler from uh, Steel on Steel with us. Uh, you know, he spent 32 years doing Steel on Steel radio. He's got over 50 years of radio and television experience in general. I've had the privilege of being on his show uh, a couple of times at least, maybe more. I didn't go back and check, but really have appreciated getting to know him over the years. And uh, he recently retired from Steel on Still, but still graciously does some interviews like the one we're going to be doing today. And we're going to be talking about sleepy Christians and apostasy in the last days. And John has had his finger on the pulse of uh, culture uh, better than anybody I know for years, and I'd love to just pick his brain and and see uh, where things are heading, particularly as it relates to the church and uh, the great last days apostasy. But before I bring him on, uh, let me mention a couple of quick announcements. So first of all, one correction from our worldview. I'm sorry, from our world events update last Wednesday. You know, every Wednesday we do world events update with uh, Randy. And uh, I've gotten several emails about this. We do plan to comment on it next Wednesday, but I thought I'd go ahead and throw it out there now. But we, he was talking about AI and some of the dangers of, 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 of AI, and he mentioned a AI-based rapture a kit, and he mistakenly gave the website rapturekit.org and, uh, and 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 indicated that that was not a good site. That is not correct. Rapturekit.org is a fantastic resource and a fantastic site, highly recommended by a number of uh, my colleagues. And so we apologize for that uh, mistake. Uh, Randy just had his notes uh, crossed, you know, crossed up a little bit there. Uh, but rapturekit.org. Uh, definitely a great resource. Encourage folks to check check that out, um, and we'll get Randy to clarify the correct website of the one he was critiquing when we have him on next week. But I've had several recent interviews this week. On Monday, we were with Tom Hughes uh, on a his show, Hope for Our Times. The topic was the countdown has begun. If you've not watched that video on YouTube, encourage you to check that out, or you can watch uh, listen to the podcast. And then uh, Tuesday night, we had a question and answer session at our Denver Prophecy Night. And I had some great questions. I wish we'd had more time to get to all of them. If you mailed in or emailed in or texted in a question, we had over 70 questions. Um, uh, we will try to get to that next time when we do a Q&A. I just simply don't have the capacity to respond individually to each uh, question. I do my best to respond to questions that come in uh, throughout the week, but for that uh, Q&A night, we just didn't get to all of them. And then, uh, as I mentioned, World Events Update was Wednesday. Lots of great stuff there uh, on that uh, on that program Wednesday. You can check that out. All of this available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for notbyworks.org, uh, or you can go to, uh, or search for Not By Works Ministries, or you can go to notbyworks.org and click on the podcast link. My latest article was just uh, posted uh, at Harbinger's Daily. It's called All That glitters is not gold. And I encourage you to uh, check that out. They've uh, done a great job of helping uh, get the message out about some of this uh, stuff. Uh, they titled it, um, All That Glitters Is Not Gold Is the Allure of High-Tech Progress Leading Us Down a Treacherous Path. And that's my article there at Harbinger's Daily, also available on the devotionals tab uh, at Not By uh, works. If you're in the Denver metro area, I encourage you to come out this Sunday for at Plum Creek Chapel for our Sunday worship services at 1 at 8.30 and 1 at 10 o'clock. The 10 o'clock uh, message is live streamed at notbyworks.org. And then uh, a reminder 
about our Bible study methods course. Uh, several of you have taken advantage of that. It's uh, self-guided, work at your own pace. Uh, I'm available at, for consultations throughout the course, but it's a uh, you know a bona fide, legitimate course that I've taught for many, many years at both the baccalaureate and master's levels. It's got uh, textbooks, it's got resources, audio, video, lectures, all kinds of notes that I've put together through the years. It's 15 weeks. And you can check that out at notbyworks.org. Just scroll through the highlight carousel, and uh, you can find the one that says Dr. Hickson's Bible Study Method course. Well, with those announcements, uh, let me introduce our topic for the day and our guest for the day. Again, we're talking about sleepy Christians and apostasy in the last days. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that in the last days there will be a spiritual apostasy within the church, that the closer we get to the return of the Lord, uh, people are going to depart from the faith. First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That phrase expressly says, that's the New King James version probably indicates that uh, God, through the Holy Spirit, had given direct revelation. We don't know that for sure. It's somewhat of a vague uh, reference, but the implication is uh, God clearly revealed that, look, uh, in the end times, things are going to get bad, that there's going to be a remnant, as always, but by and large, the church is going to uh, depart uh, from the faith and be caught up in some of the deception and lies of the Luciferian uh, conspiracy. So, John, I'm so excited to have you on the program. I feel humbled and honored. That's kind of a role reversal here. You're the expert uh, uh, radio host and interviewer, and uh, here I am trying to, uh, the pupil, trying to interview the teacher. But welcome to the program, John. Thank you. I'm I'm humbled just by being here. Well, you are a blessing uh, for sure. You know, uh, someone has said, I think it's an old Japanese proverb, if you want to know about water, don't ask a fish. Uh, and I would say, if you don't, if, if you want to know about apostasy, don't ask the average Christian, because most Christians seem to be asleep at the wheel. And, uh, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 uh, is a passage that I frequently uh, cite in some of my, uh, you know, books. And uh, when, I, when people ask me to sign the book, I'll typically put it on there. But it talks about how Christians need to be awake that those who are of the day need to be awake and not asleep. And yet I feel like many Christians are asleep today. What are, as a kind of a an expert, uh, if you will, on culture and uh, seeing culture through the lens of God's Word, what are you seeing today that concerns you in the way of apostasy? Well, culturally, you realize all of Western culture has been in this uh, radical paradigm shift. Uh, remembering that a paradigm shift is a complete change in how people view the world, their lives, morality, religion, etc. It's not just a glitch that we can go back and fix. And you probably won't change that part of it. Uh, the, the danger that we have now, and I view apostasy before I say anything on it, as simply abandoning your faith in Christ. That's pretty much it. But it can be a gradual process and that you have one idea that comes in that's not a Christian idea, another idea that comes in, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, you've got this mix going on in your head, and it causes you, as uh, Apostle Paul tells us, to drift away you know, from the living God simply because our ideas about who God is, who we are, change. And Richard Vornbron made a very important comment 
Uh, he has a short booklet out called Preparing for the Underground Church. Of course, he passed away, went to be with the Lord in 1998. But um, based on his 14 years in prison in Romania back in the 50s and into the 60s, I believe, he said there are two types of people that are in churches. One group thinks that they're Christians. The other group truly are. And he mm -hmm. said the only way to tell the difference between the two is by what they do in a time of trial, not by what they say. Wow. So he said they, they look and sound the same, but they don't really show their, their internal colors until they're put under duress. That's when the stress is put on your worldview. And you can tell what a man or woman's real worldview is by what it looks like under stress. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very interesting uh, a concept there. Certainly what is on the inside comes out when it's pressured. Um, and uh, I think the church today is better be ready because we're going to be facing these types of things and, and already are. But I, I like what you said that this is not a recent thing, you know, especially in, in the grand scheme of church history, over 2,000 years, our brothers and sisters in Christ have suffered immense persecution. In fact, many experts say there are more persecuted Christians today than at any other time in church history. But here in America, we've been largely sheltered from that. And while, of course, we believe that you can be a Christian and not act like it sometimes, that's when you cater to the flesh and you're, you know, not catering to the Spirit. The fact of the matter is, I do believe churches every Sunday are filled with people that are not believers. They might have walked an aisle, signed a card, made some public profession, or they might be trying to work their way into heaven, or might have adopted a, a quote-unquote Christian worldview, and, and they might know about Christ, but they've never personally placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for their sins. So on any given Sunday, yeah, there are a lot of unbelievers in the church, but but I think what concerns me as well is the number of people who may be believers, but they are ill-equipped and ill-prepared in the strength of their faith for what is coming down the pike. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was thinking when you were talking there, because you're in Denver, and we started our radio program in 1990 in Denver, uh, and I remember we were talking about this back then, persecution. We started to do reporting on persecution around the world. And maybe back then we'd hear one or two stories. There were just one or two news agencies doing it. We'd managed to scrape together enough to talk about on a month. But I at one point told a pastor, I said, well, we really need to talk about persecution in the church uh, because it's coming here. And he said, well, we don't want to do that. People don't want to hear about that. You know, everybody was doing well. Now, if you look around the world, persecution is flooding the world. And Jesus said, remember, at the end times, the entire world will hate you on account of my name. He didn't say for the same reason, but it's on account of his name. If you're in the Islamic world, it's because you will not say the Shahada. You will not believe that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. In the Western world, it's because we don't accept cultural Marxist atheistic values and therefore are declared to be haters, phobes. You, you know, the language is the same. Um, but that's where it comes. And the danger that we've had, uh, say, for example, in the fight over education, this entire paradigm shift that you have seen in the culture for the last 50 or 60 years was intentional. It was brought in by secular humanists, John Dewey and his crowd, the Frankfurt School, originally the Institute for Marxist Research, which moved here from Germany in the 30s when they were not welcome in Hitler's Germany for reasons I just can't possibly understand. <laughs> <laughs> and they set up shop at the teachers' colleges. They actually told you what they were going to do. They were going to flip the country 
away from its Judeo-Christian roots. Yeah. They have succeeded. Okay. They absolutely have, and funded by the Rockefellers and Fords and Carnegies and people like that. Uh, did, did you ever have uh, Charlotte Iserby on your program? Frequently. We yeah. did a two-hour show at KWGN-TV, Channel 2 there in Denver, called The Truth Behind Outcome-Based mm. Education. Mm. And Charlotte Iserby has been proven impeccably correct. Oh, no uh, doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Re recently yeah. passed away in the last couple of years, a great loss uh, to our community. I've cited her often. Uh, you know, uh, she was, for those who don't know, uh, she was in the Reagan administration in the Department of Ed. You know, the Department of Ed was that department right. Reagan campaigned on abolishing and then got elected and tripled the funding for it. But anyway, um, you know, he uh, he put her or she was appointed there, I think, second second in command or certainly pretty high up. She blew the whistle on some of the real agenda behind the U.S. Department of Ed, which, as John just said, was Marxist and woke even back then. This would have been in 1980, got fired and then spent the rest of her life uh, sounding the alarm and exposing the uh, the dangers uh, of the dumbing down of American right. school children. Yeah. And by the way, her book uh, at her site, if you go to deliberatedumbingdown.org, all of her books on Marxism in the classroom, uh, the deliberate dumbing down of America, which she wrote specifically for teachers in the words of the elites from year to year, showing what the elite said they were going to do. It's all available as PDFs there now at no charge, deliberatedumbingdown.org. Yeah. I, I keep copies here. And you have experience yourself of, uh, let's kind of chase this rabbit here about education and apostasy and how so much of the apostasy in the church is driven by the fact that we have a hundred year track record now of Christian families subcontracting out the raising of their children to a secular pagan institution. And we really wonder why our culture's in the state that it is today after handing over our kids for 13 years of their life during their formative years, five hours, a, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. But you have a personal experience with being persecuted uh, for homeschooling. Is that right? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't being persecuted. We just ran into an issue because when Carol and I began homeschooling in the early eighties, there in Colorado, uh, you were weird. <laughs> you, know, you were depriving your children of a, a successful education. Blah, blah. I mean, we heard blah, 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 blah from everybody, from family members. Well, one of my kids is a PhD scientist for a major laboratory. Another one's teaching biology at a Christian college. So, And a third one's doing a lot of our audio and video editing and graphics artists. So they all did pretty well for people who couldn't get a good education. Yeah. But the, the issue was that they set out, to, they used education to flip the minds of the kids. Mm. In the 80s and 90s, you could not convince pastors that there was a problem with what was going on in public education. Some of the worst opponents of education reform, especially in the Bible Belt, were Christian teachers in the public school system which is why 20 years ago I did this little presentation. I had three different hats showing worldview. One was Marx, that was red. One was Christian, I think that was blue. And then I came in and I said, now here's what happens with Christian teachers. Said on Sunday, and I put the hat on, they put on their Bible hat and they talk about Jesus and they read the Bible. But on Monday, they take that hat off and they put on their Karl Marx, John Dewey hats and completely switch worldviews. Because it isn't just, What's taught in sociology, it's the entire curriculum was being saturated with these new ideas. Even math questions had politically correct material within them. And I said, you can always tell which worldview is the driving worldview. And I've watched this happen in churches, JB, where you, you prick it, you poke it, and 
if they go nothing there it's the moment you get the boom reflex boom like that and they usually go into a two to three minute diatribe they're almost out of control (laughs) you know what it is and i've seen this happen in churches with with christian teachers in churches as soon as you do it they become crazy yeah why is that it's brainwashing it's programming and they're unaware of the fact that their worldview is truly a marxist one or a woke one today woke is just a re work of cultural Marxism. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, uh, th- you know, the, the fact of the matter is most, th- there are, you know, good, well-intentioned people in public school systems, but they don't understand the agenda. That's what we've found too, through the years in our books and in our conferences, as we've tried to awaken people. Yeah. You That's may right. love the Lord and you may put a Bible on your desk and you may secretly talk about Jesus from time to time, but you don't understand that you're aiding and abetting an admittedly openly documented a pagan culture. And it really is a battle for the minds. And that's why this is so relevant to apostasy, John, as Paul tells us in in Colossians 2, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And then he goes on to say, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. By the way, that's the only time in the Bible that word occurs, philosophy. It's literally love of wisdom, but it's talking about man's wisdom, secular humanistic wisdom. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So, uh, you know, you you can raise your kids to, to believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation for eternal life. You can take them to church for an hour a, day, a week on Sundays, and maybe if you're really devoted, you might go on to a midweek service, or back in the day they had Sunday night services. But you contrast that with you know eight hours a day, five days a week, and th- over 13 years, it's a tough pill to overcome. And so that's why here we are, 2023, and we've got you know, such debauchery in the schools. I read an article just uh, yesterday, and and this has been out there. It wasn't new. It's been out there a couple of weeks now, but I think it was in Wisconsin, and I may have the state wrong, but obviously it's a public school where they've opened up their locker rooms to transgenders. And, you know, these uh, three uh, high school girls were uh, in the locker room showering after swim class, and in walks an 18-year-old transgendered man who uh, undresses right in front of him, exposes himself, and t- takes a shower right next to him. And that's that's perfectly legitimate in this woke culture. So, uh, John, I got to tell you, I don't understand why Christian parents, it's, it's, a, it's a blindedness, why they don't get that this is way past the time of getting getting the kids out of uh of of the school. I mean, what what advice would you give to Christian parents today that are that are struggling with whether or not to take their kids out of compulsory government schools? There's no struggle. I, my position for 20 years is get your kids out of public schools. Yeah. And that has been Roy Moore's uh, position at Exodus Mandate, because he said, you know, we could actually get control of this back if you would just get your kids out because their funding systems would collapse. Yeah. But Ray, uh, Ray Moore. Yeah. Ray, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ray Moore. I'm yeah. I know Ray, Ray real well. I've been in his home. He's a dear friend. Really appreciate all that he's doing on this. Uh, you're really on the, the front lines. I think that's the name of his ministry, actually. Let's go to the next step, though, because the the next thing that I've had, especially uh, uh, Christian parents in the 30s, to say, well, I can't afford to do that. Then I would just respond, well, then you can't afford not to have kids Uh, because God uh, 
God has told you very, or you can't afford to have kids. Sorry. Uh, God has told you, you have to raise them up in the way they should go. The formative years are going to be zero through eight, 10. That's where the bedrock is laid for everything. And the early educators, if you go to the quotes, I didn't have them pulled up here for today, but they talked about getting the kids away from the poisonous ideas of the parents and pastors. They literally said this. You can go to NEA publications elsewhere going back 60 years, and they were talking about this. So they declared, meaning the educrat elites, again, it's not your average teacher in the, in the trenches. They love kids. They want to do what's right. I got that. But the problem is the educrats said, this is what we're going to do. What are the parents and pastors going to do when we have them for six to eight hours a day, five days a week, and you have them for one hour on Sunday and maybe an hour or so during the week? They knew what they were doing. Yeah. So the next step, though, JB, and this is important because slapping churches and pastors awake, oh, excuse me for a second, slapping pastors and, and parents awake. Uh, because you have to understand this system is hostile to you. It's hostile to God, etc. Now, why aren't the churches jumping in? Why are churches not forming homeschool co-ops or other things where we've seen them? We have them workable here. I know we had them in Denver. And that is where different groups of homeschool kids all come together and they'll have a parent teach certain classes that they're qualified to teach. And um, so that's the real question is that's what we should be doing is that type of thing. The churches must step in. They must take it seriously. They have not reckoned. I, I, you know, pastors have been complaining about the fact youth have been hemorrhaging from the church at the tune of 60 to 80 percent for yeah. the last three decades. <clears throat> And yet the churches just keep doing church. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Don't you understand? This is the, this is it. This is the battle. But the idea of battle, running for the faith, contending for the faith, avoiding apostasy, as the Apostle Paul says, because that's exactly what apostasy is, failing to contend for the faith, failing to stand with the faith, failing to do that. This has been the core, and yet the church just keeps on doing what it's doing. Yeah, the church. We're talking with John Loeffler from uh, Steel on Steel, just a, a great, uh, uh, you know, well-known uh, broadcaster and uh, radio personality. I've had the privilege of being on his show a few times, and really honored that he is taking the time with us uh, today. Really fascinating what you're talking about here. Um, you know, the church does seem to be taking its cue from the world, no question about it. But I don't think you can understate the influence of this compulsory government schooling. So I don't want to leave this subject uh, just yet. So uh, as you said, you know, get get your kids out. That's uh, uh, what Ray Moore says, you know, in his f famous book, Let My Children Go, and, uh, you know, get, get out of there. But yet so many uh, young parents have been conditioned that it's the only way to educate your kids, and they think, how am I going to do it? Well, I like to encourage parents to think historically for a moment. And John, you're a student of history uh, par excellence. But you know, for roughly five thousand nine hundred years, or give or take, families educated their children themselves. It wasn't until 1918 that we had compulsory government schooling in all the states that existed that at that time in America. Uh, and even before that, it was we, although we had schools, government schools, they weren't compulsory. Uh, it was the parents' job. Uh, in in society to raise the children, but it was it was an incredible coup when the Luciferian elite partnered with educational institutions, governmental institutions, uh, other 
uh, leading business leaders and convinced everybody that, first of all, you have to let the, the state train the teacher. We'll tell you what to teach the kids. And then I'll, I'll convince the parents that only state-trained teachers can teach their kids what they need to know. And then here we are again, uh, you know, several generations later in 2023, wondering why our culture uh, is falling apart. And I want to piggyback on one other thing that you said, which needs to be underlined, and that is the church's role in all of this. You know, the church has a purpose, a role to play in the present age. And one of those things is to be a restraining influence on evil through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. We are supposed to, uh, you know, make a difference. And when we allow pagan institutions to take on that role, we should not be surprised at uh, at the results. And so it's time for the church to to step up. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, first of all, I want to make a, a clarification on what we mean by apostasy. In my mind, there's two kinds of apostasy. There is apostasy in the church, as we've been talking about, how on any given Sunday, there are weak believers that are that are not living out their faith the way they should be, sitting right next to unbelievers who think they're Christians, but they aren't because they've never believed the gospel. And so the church is, is largely marginalized in that regard. But there's also a, a general apostasy in the sense of uh, moral decline. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and imposters will get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we have you know, kind of this both and. In general, the trajectory has not been good, right? Depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. It gets worse. And so, as we think about uh, the church's role in all of this, uh, I was at a conference this weekend and heard uh, Dr. Tommy Ice uh, uh, talk about apostasy in the church, and he showed clips that were abominable of various LGBTQ presentations and uh, just just stuff that is blasphemous. And it reminded me years ago when I was uh, just starting out in ministry as a young 20, early 20s, uh, there was a big conference in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis called the Reimagining Conference, where they mocked uh, the atoning work of Christ. They were you know, celebrating uh, immorality, homosexuality, things like that. And it was, you know, back then it was. I was thinking, this has to be an outlier. This house, to, this has to be just an extreme, limited. Thing to some liberal denominations and the people involved with were the PCUSA, the uh, ELCA, and a few others, um, ABC USA denominations. Um, but here we are, John, 35 years later, and it's becoming normative. Are you seeing churches not just be silent and be sleepy, as we're talking about, but actually taking a megaphone and promoting some of this woke stuff? Are you seeing that? Yes. Uh, and it, ironically, it's exactly what uh, Dr. Francis Schaefer warned about mm. about 40 years ago. Didn't he? Uh, he I'm trying to remember when he wrote the book. It was in the 70s, I think. Uh, the Great Evangelical Disaster. And he made this prediction. He said, if the church, now that's a loose term for church, okay, if the churches accept the modes and thinking and acting of the world, it will no longer be able to stand as a witness against the philosophers call it the zeitgeist, the spirit of the time. And so you began to see this change. He saw it in the Presbyterian church as early as the 1920s when they threw out G. Gresham Machen 
uh, as head of the Presbyterian Church. He said that was the end of the battle for the Presbyterians. The Catholics held out much longer. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen was writing very important things in the 1950s about this Marxism creeping in and what it would look like, etc. But Vatican II was the flip point, and I was right after Vatican II studying to be a Catholic priest. And I recall that they took what were called the documents of Vatican II and then began to talk about the spirit of Vatican II and then began introducing all this stuff. And I was... Uh, teaching or teaching assisting at an all-black high school in Mississippi that was being run by this whacked-out priest and this whacked-out nun uh, who were bringing in all sorts of strange stuff. And at the time, I didn't have the mental tools to know what was going on, but that's where you began to see the shift in, in Catholic churches and the Episcopalian churches as they began bringing in this cultural Marxist idea back then. The last holdouts now have been the FEPs, Fundamentalist Evangelical Pentecostal. This wokeism, I call it wokus pocus, the wokeism <laughs> is now flowing through the into these churches. Not all of them are caving, but especially with young pastors. Church growth issues were very important things. If you remember Rick Warren and all of mm -hmm. his stuff, this was just bringing in some of the early concepts. There are multiple streams, but if you know that there's an underlying conspiracy being driven by Satan, it's all making a lot of sense, you know. Yeah, that that uh, wokus pocus. I love that. That's I'm going to start using that. But as best I can tell from a quick search, the original publishing date, uh, publication date of that Francis Schaeffer book, The Great Evangelical Disaster, was '84. But certainly coming out of the '70s and some of his great research and stuff at that time. Uh, but yeah, I mean the the fact is, church history, uh, especially in America here, let's just say the last uh, 100 years since the dawn of the higher criticism in, in around the turn of the 20th century, has seen these shifts every so often. You know, you had the modernist fundamentalist controversy. You've always got this peeling off of the remnant. Uh, for various reasons. And yes, there have been some schisms and schasms that probably weren't worth fighting over. I get that. But by and large, it's been over truly fundamental issues of our day. And I think that's happening today, but it's it's happening with a different percentages. Whereas in the past, it might have been you know, let's go back to the fifties and the and the and the forties when my grandfather was fighting the the modernists and their denial of inerrancy. You know, you might have had. 20, 30, 40% of mainline evangelicals drifting away, and then these denominations would split off and hold firm on in the in inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility of Scripture. Uh, today, it's it's much worse. I mean, it's 90%. That's just my dead reckoning. 90% uh, of so-called evangelical churches have, uh, you know, are, are tone deaf to what's happening right there in their own Appuse. And it goes back to, we talked about the influence of public schooling in terms of our culture. But what about the influence of seminaries and Bible colleges? You know, it starts there, and then it trickles to, down to the pulpits, and then it trickles down to the pew, right? Yes. Uh, that is the, the very thing you're talking about, is why the churches in Germany were incapable of standing against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis when they came in. Because the higher biblical criticism, as it was called, uh, began in the 1800s, and it moved away from biblical inerrancy to just treating the Bible as a an historic book or a guide to that type of thing. Uh, that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer was so different in his uh, underground seminary in Tegel, 
because he was training his students to read the Bible every day as God's message to you, as something talking directly to you. Uh, but that's why they could not stand. Look, we're coming into a time of trial for the Western Church. You can see this. It's clear. You're not going to stop it just by a few votes at a poll, even if the elections are legal and fair. Um, now that you know that, once you assume that, then you have to ask, well, where will I be? Where will my church be in this? The only way you can stand in a time of trial is to know what your reference points are like you were talking about, biblical inerrancy. God has given us a tremendous amount of information about the end times. Remember when Daniel, Daniel 7, 8, 9, finally said, uh, like, uh, golly willikers, what does all this mean? <laughs> <laughs> and what was he told? Never mind, for these are things for the latter days. For many times hence from now, you go your way and you will stand in your place at the end times. The same thing for Revelation. I call it the book of renovation, because God always reboots when things just finally get intolerable. Um, just 60 years ago, we couldn't have imagined where how these things, these prophecies would come about. We were trying to put it together. It didn't work. Today, I kid you not, you can look at almost any prophecy, whether it's the mark of the beast, they're going to push for a new international monetary system after the next collapse occurs, which will probably be in about 18 to 12 months out, somewhere in there, we're going to have another 2007-style crash, probably a lot worse this time since it's a bigger house of cards, and they're going to parlay that into a whole new system and force us all into it. That isn't the mark of the beast yet, but you could see that. How will the statue talk? Remember that in, in mm -hmm. Revelation 13? How will that happen? Artificial intelligence. It can learn. It can interact with humans. It can repeat. Antichrist will virtually be in a, we'll put this quote unquote, everything that God is. He will be omniscient, omnipresent, okay? All of the omnis that, that make up God, he will be trying to duplicate in this end times. We can now see that. And that's why God gave us those prophecies, because for the people of us who live in these times, we would have to know that so we would not lose our faith. Jesus said, if the times had not been cut short, no flesh would have survived. No faith would have survived. You just couldn't do it Amen. in the onslaught. Okay. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just amazing. You mentioned Bonhoeffer. Uh, by the way, we're talking about sleepy Christians and apostasy in the last days with John Loeffler from Steel on Steel. Bonhoeffer famously said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. And you talked about Daniel. That, that's such a, a a great reference because, you know, Daniel said very clearly in Daniel chapter 12, although I heard, I did not understand, what shall the end of these things be? In other words, in Daniel's yeah. day, as you said, he couldn't connect the dots. Uh, but we're living in a time when we can connect the dots. We can see how some of the things that the Bible talks about happening, such as the full-spectrum planetary control that the beast and false prophet are going to roll out over the world. How in the world is that possible? There was a time when we couldn't even conceive of it. Now, through AI, we can conceive of that. And so, you know, the church really is asleep at the wheel, and it's it's uh, it's hard to find good churches, good schools. I was on the phone earlier today with someone who was wanting advice about what college, what seminary to go to. It's It's hard to find one. It's hard to find one. However, um, so you have to reckon two things. Number one, 
the Overton window in the Western culture has shifted so far. You're not going to mm -hmm. bring that back in mm -hmm. this generation unless you raise up a whole new people of educated. It's just, <laughs> there she goes. And, and let me, let me, for our listeners, explain what the Overton window is. It's that window of acceptability, basically. And, right. that, you know, what, what can you get away with in culture that people will, will not, you know, react to. And, and that Overton window is constantly shifting toward more and more normalcy of things that are aberrant. Right. If you realize, say, for example, take John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1963. If you realize that if you put him in the Overton window today, he'd be part of this right extremist conservative crowd they're talking about. <laughs> and I point out, we didn't move. The, the, <clears throat> the bell curve of the Overton window just went the other way <clears throat> to the point that what is being promoted today in 1960 was considered radical and extreme during the flower child movement and the rebellion of the 60s. Yeah. And some of those radicals, Angela Davis and others, they're still here, you know, <laughs> but that culture's going that way. The difficulty is today's millennials, and I talk, I have a whole presentation on how they think and what they do. Um, they, you must understand, they're into groupthink, into compartmentalized truth, relative truth, but they also know inside, they're afraid to speak out, to violate that cancel culture wall the barrier this is again a marxist tactic that they've imposed on them inside they're a mess mm -hmm. and a lot of them know they're a mess and they need a way out that's where evangelism is you can expect in a time of trial if we use germany as an as a, an example 90 percent of the churches at one form or another will collapse under the pressure but there'll be a 10 percent remnant in there that we need to focus on I told a pastor once 20 years ago, on the path you're on, you're going to become an island church. People will flood to you like safety on a desert island when their ships are sinking elsewhere. That's what we need to focus on. And I was talking to a gentleman yesterday who runs a ministry to rescue a lot of youth. He said, the funny thing is I used to 20 years ago, I was working with teens. He said, but now I'm working with 30 and 40-somethings who are doing a lot of jail time or other related trouble in their life because they're just teens that never grew up, even That's though it. they're in 30 and 40-year-old bodies. It's, it's the Toys R Us generation, you know, that whole mind control program of I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. And now here they are, 30 years old, still never grown up. Right. And they're raising their kids, if they have kids, in an equally bad way. So this is promulgating. But our job, you know, the mission statement of the church never changes. Go forth, make disciple of all nations, right? Teaching them to observe the things I've commanded you. Grab this one. Grab that one. Grab that person. He wants some answers. Give it to that person. Give it to the, that woman over there who's so desperate and, and needs it, to the nurse you ran into. Because wokus pocus is affecting everything, and it's toxic. You cannot, you cannot, 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 cannot bring woke ideas into a church. It is toxic to your faith, just like back in the 1950s. What got Richard Vornbrod thrown into prison was the fact that he was at a national conference of pastors in Romania, and they were had speaker after speaker getting up and saying how Marxism and Christianity were compatible and how they could work together. Aldernash! Yeah. And he was the only voice to get up and say that. Uh, and he paid a penalty for that. And people are paying the penalty today for speaking out against the very same nonsense. Yeah, and we see it in a, a variety of different 
realms and not just uh, Marxism, but we see it in terms of ecumenicism. You know, I, I quit going to ecumenical pastors uh, meetings because I just got tired of sitting next to on one side, a liberal lesbian, you know, Episcopalian on the other side, a Catholic priest on the other side of me is a Methodist who believes you can work your way into salvation, those kinds of things. I thought I looked around one day and thought, why am I here? I mean, I enjoy fellowship. I enjoy getting to know people. I'm kind of an outgoing, uh, you know, social person. But my time is more valuable than that. I'm not going to cooperate with people that long ago abandoned the truth of God's word and are not standing firm for, you know, what God's word says. As you said, the mission statement hasn't changed. Teach people what the Lord has commanded. Well, where do we find that? In his word. You know, the Bible gives us everything we need you know, for life and godliness. And so, you know, we need to uh, set our mind on, uh, you know, things above, as Paul goes on to say in that passage in Colossians, uh, where Christ is. We need to point people, uh, you know, to, to Christ. So, um, you know, as we get back to this idea of apostasy in the church, we've talked a lot about kind of how we got here, uh, the role of compulsory government schooling, the Marxist takeover of our educational institutions, including institutions of higher learning. But where do the pastors, uh, you know, wh 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 what kind of responsibility do they have? And, and uh, you know, what would you say to pastors today that aren't speaking out about these things? Uh, there's a thing in the Old Testament. Uh, you're much better off at quoting scriptures. I'm a talk show host. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> we each serve a role in this whole battle, right? Where it talks about woe unto the worthless shepherd. Mm. Um, the role of pastor for many, many people has been one of, uh, I'm trying to see how to frame this. The idea that a pastor trains warriors is not germane to them. Uh, a lot of Christianity starting in the 70s suddenly became a branch office of your local psychologist. And the goal of Christianity was to counsel people and help them through their marriages and whatever other problems they're having, et cetera. The idea that we are doing battle, which is what uh, Paul, seems, Paul seems to keep telling us, we're doing battle. Because he says, if you look at all of his words, you know, run as if to win. Put on the armor of God. Stand in the evil day. Well, what does standing imply? You are resisting an assault on the faith. Run, contend, fight, stand, and having done all, remain standing. Mm. That requires firm reference points, like we were talking about. What is your reference point? It's the Word of God, ultimately. Catholics are having trouble today because so much wokeism has come into Catholicism. Virtually all the American bishops are woke. A lot of your priests are woke. They have different ideas about what Catholicism is this or that. Traditional Catholics are responding by forming little enclaves of traditionalist churches, Tridentine masses. And we share a lot of values with them, by the way. I'm not to belittle that. What, as I say, they're trying to go back to the bad old days of the Council of Trent and Vatican Council I, thinking that they will find salvation by going back to this constrictive church. But as so many Catholic priests I've read their witness, they found their their salvation in the scriptures, realizing that everything that Catholics go through, the sacraments, the rosaries, that everything you have to do, that I did it one time, mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Mm -mm. <laughs> you know, mm -mm. and only in salvation by grace through faith do you find the freedom that you have to have in Christ and the empowerment then to spread his word. So that's why they're in turmoil. They're trying to figure out how to deal with these current issues. 
But their idea is to go back to the illusion of a good old church before Vatican II. And I said, no, it had the same problems 500 years ago, which is what this little monk named Martin Luther discovered when he traveled to Rome. Mm. And he had expected to find the holy city there. He's killing himself to live like a great monk and keep every every rule and dictate and go to confession on a daily basis till finally his confessor said, don't come back until you have something to confess. You know, he was going nitpicking on all the little <laughs> sins he found. Okay, he gets to Rome. What did he discover? It's a corrupt cesspool. Mm-hmm. And so I love I love Catholics. I love the, the priests and the people who are there. But you got to understand what's passing off as Catholicism. Not only is not Catholicism, it's also not following the Word of God. That's why they have no reference points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. So, I mean, yeah, let's let me add to that for a second. If you want to do some real deep dive research into the history of Roman Catholicism, uh, the Vatican there in Rome, and what really is going on uh, beneath the surface of the ground there in the underground bunkers and caves. Uh, It will blow you away. But let's keep it about theological and not about sort of the Luciferian influence through Catholicism. The fact of the matter is, as as we say often here at NBW Ministries, you know, it's not by works that anyone is saved. You cannot save yourself. You can't dot enough I's and cross enough T's to be to to find yourself commendable to a holy God. Jesus said in Matthew 548, you've got to be perfect. So 99.9% righteous is not righteous enough. You know, getting into heaven is not uh, an SAT score. It's not uh, grading on the curve. It's a zero-sum game. It's either you're 100% righteous or you're you're hellbound. And the only way to be 100% righteous isn't by keeping the seven sacraments or, you know, you know keeping all of these little legalistic rules. It's by trusting in the righteous one, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for your sins. So that's what the NBW in our ministry stands for, not yeah. by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, uh, he saved us. Now, let me go back to pastors in the pulpit. And okay. then I'll, uh, the, we, we didn't finish that. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, that, let me go ahead and throw it to you back, back to you then. But then I want to come back to your preference, your, your reference to the worst, worthless shepherds, but yeah, okay. continue your thought. Well, what it is, is my view of the church today is uh, you have to think, you know, the, the, the song, a mighty fortress. Mm. And in German, they use the expression Borg, B-U-R-G. And a, a Borg is one of these giant castles with, with six to 10 foot thick walls to withstand attacks and sieges and cannonballs and everything else like that. The church should be something that you run into, you patch people up, you give them encouragement, you help them with their lives and the prayer that they need, and then you send them out as raiding parties into enemy territory. That kind of pastorate, a battle pastorate, has not been germane among pastors. You know, their job is to have services on Sunday. The uh, We do our, our Sunday school programs, which we're doing virtually nothing at preventing the kids from being lost to the scriptures. We didn't train them in worldviews. That's the old way. The new pastor is going to have to know the times, know how to arm his people. Uh, the, the, the helmet of salvation, say, for example, when Paul talks upon putting on the full armor of God, and you talk about not by works. Why? What's the helmet of salvation is all about? If you're in a legalistic church, for example, whether it's Catholic or, excuse me, extreme fundamentalist, uh, any of these others, we could go down the list. They're still all trying to live by this legalist method. The helmet of salvation says no matter what happens, that helmet can't be knocked off. 
But if you're in a legalistic church, it can be knocked off. Satan's got mm. an end there. He can get you, you see. Well, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven because blah, 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 blah. Every one of those has a battle significance, and it's not just not about doing porn or something in your relationships and the family. It's about a whole panoply of this. So when you get to persecution, you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to throw on the table for Christ? Hmm. And you have to know that right now before the time comes, because when suddenly you have to make a moral decision, again, not just talking about sexual issues, I'm talking about integrity in the workplace, etc. It comes upon you quickly, and you have to make that decision. You have to have the muscle memory of knowing what you're going to do ahead of time. Satan will exploit, as Richard Vornbrand said, any chink in your armor under a time of trial becomes magnified. So what are you willing to throw on the, on the table for Christ? How about the men? Uh, okay, how about your job? What about losing your family? Uh, how about being disfigured, having your genitals cut off? You're willing to go that far with Christ? You know, things that you may hold dear. Uh, where, what, What's your end point? Or is it down to absolutely nothing? If you fail in a time of trial, get back up. That's what Peter was all about, remember? Lord, I will never deny you. And Jesus goes, oh, yeah, right. Well, about that, Peter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna tell. But what did he tell him when he got, he said, you're going to deny me three times. But when you have recovered, mm. go and strengthen your brethren. He knew he was going to fail, yeah. but that didn't throw him out of the kingdom. Yep. And Paul said, even if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny so, himself. Yeah. So, you know, talking about pastors uh, and warfare from the pulpit, I love what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. And then he names them, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme, just as Satan did with Job in the Old Testament book of Job. God sometimes allows Satan to be an, a conduit of discipline, and that's what he did with these believers, Hymenaeus and Alexander. But I love the way one uh, person put it when talking about this you know, advice to Timothy that Paul gave about fighting the good fight and waging the good warfare. He said, the Christian teacher must be a good soldier and a good sailor, because too many of our pastors today have become shipwrecked, sidelines. This wokus pocus, as you call it, has caused them to compromise. And sadly, in most cases, they're not even aware of it. I mean, they're no. up there touting, you know, their whatever that comes to their mind. It sounds good. They get lots of followers on YouTube or Twitter. But when you compare what they're saying to the Word of God, they're not being a good soldier, are they? No, they're, they're not being a good soldier because – let me give you the, the – the, okay, I'm going to back up here. I'm zooming out and going back 20 years. I had a pastor take me to lunch, and he said, John, I, I don't understand this. When I'm dealing with the young people, he said, on Sundays, we're trying to teach them the Bible and you know youth groups, et cetera. So, but on Monday, they're shacking up with their girlfriends. They're uh, doing drugs. You name what they're into. I don't understand what's failing. And what I told him was – the I said, you know, Pastor, you got the wrong idea. You think it's what you're teaching. It's not. It's how they've been taught to think. 
And then I outlined the, the way the millennial mind thinks. I said they think in relative, constantly changing, self-contradicting, compartmentalized, consensus-driven values. And I unwrapped every one of those for him. And he said, you know, you're right. You're describing them. Why? Because they have a different set of reference points. That's that's where it's at. And this drift, we talked about it at the beginning of our conversation, this drift is gradual over time, and you and I are all susceptible to it. Mm -hmm. You can find it in your own life if you look. And you have to keep coming back to the authority of the Word, but more so before the Holy Spirit, and say, all right, I'm off base. Please lead me back, because I can't always find my way back when I go off, mm. you know? Don't fight stupid battles. How many people in churches are fighting stupid battles? You know, yep. choose your battles. That's one of the things I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. A, I'm a slow learner, John. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I make the same mistakes multiple times sometimes. But after 35 years of ministry, there are a few lessons that I'm slowly starting to pick up on. And one is to choose your battles wisely. The things that seemed so paramount when I was a young 20-something pastor and serving in academics and ministry, uh, you know, somehow they don't occupy my obsessions and, 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 and thoughts the way they used to. But, you know, the Bible says perilous times will come in the last days, 2 Timothy 3.1. I think those last days are upon us. We're talking about apostasy uh, and sleepy Christians. And everywhere we look, it seems like the church is disappearing. You know, I, I'm all for the disappearing church, John. I want the rapture to happen uh, today. As my friend <laughs> Tommy Ice said, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the upper taker getting here before the undertaker, right? But uh, there's another kind of disappearing that's happening uh, before our very eyes, and that is the silent church, sleepy Christians not but, speaking out. But see, here's the, here's the way we, I bring people around to that, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Remember what I said, my Titanic theory? There they go. Yeah. They're going to go. And But what are you and I going to do? And so we need to find each other to encourage each other as we see the day draw nearer. The only thing you and I are responsible for is what am I doing today as the Holy Spirit gives me a direction to talk to this person to address that issue. A uh, long time ago, uh, I'm sure you probably know Rabbi Bert Yellen there in, in Denver, uh, at Congregation Row Israel, the Messianic Congregation. And I was complaining to him. We were sitting just chit-chatting one morning. And I said, I was really upset because the church I was in, it just wasn't doing the right thing. I couldn't get the pastor interested in it, you know. And he looked at me and he said, look, he said, there are two types of churches. Uh, the first type of church knows where it's going. It's on the right track. Now it makes mistakes like a ship on the ocean. It has to course correct here and course correct there and deal with problems with the the staff and, you know, the usual stuff. But generally, it's going in the right direction. So the other church doesn't even have a clue of which direction is the right direction or what it needs to do. You're just wasting your time because 90% of your energy will be spent trying to turn the ship to the correct course rather than getting to the destination. Mm. And I just stared at him, I kid you not, JV. I just stared at him going, that's the best piece of wisdom I've heard all yeah. year long. Bonhoeffer said the same thing. He wrote an essay on stupidity. And then basically in his educated German said, you can't fix stupid, stop trying. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing Jesus said when he sent the 70 out. Go on out. If they accept you, go in, have dinner with them. If they don't, shake your feet off, the dust off your feet and keep on moving. Yeah. And that's where we are today. The harvest is ripe. And all that we are called to do is 
gather together, encourage each other. And you're right, the church is just, I don't care what the church, quote unquote, is doing out there. I care what you and I are going to do, and we will find others of like mind. Expect the apostasy, expect it. But what are you and I going to do? Yeah, I just don't see that we're going to be able to, to, of course, the Bible doesn't teach that there's going to be some great global end times revival. It's just the opposite. It's an end times apostasy. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't, as you just so eloquently said, focus ourselves on doing what we can do uh, to make a difference. It's that old starfish analogy, right? We're not going to save them all, but we can save one at a time. But going back to your reference to uh, that passage in Zechariah, uh, it's funny, you know, he, he's he's got that whole section there in, I think it's chapter 11, yeah, chapter 11, where he's he's talking about the prophecy of the shepherds, and he ends with, woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock, and, and most people, I'm, I'm in this camp, believe that's ultimately fulfilled in the Antichrist. So the, the crazy irony is that these woke pastors or silent pastors, silent Christians that are that are just kind of going with the flow, caught up in our cultural zeitgeist, as you said, they're actually mimicking the future Antichrist, who's yeah. going to be pluralistic. He's not going to take a stand for anything moral. He's going to say anything goes, and yet he's going to be completely domineering and controlling, trying to control every aspect of people's lives. Yeah. But there, yeah. there will be three churches that you're going to see. Now, Bert was talking about two, and that was you know, 20, 30 years ago when he and I were talking. Um, there are going to be three types of churches that I can see. They're going to be the compliant churches. Those are the ones that are in apostasy. They couldn't tell you what's really right to save their lives. They will look and talk just like the world. Okay. Mm. They will be the complacent churches. Those are the ones who, well, they don't agree but they're not going to take any stand on anything. They're just going to, quote, preach the gospel. That's the excuse they use for not doing what the gospel says. And then the third will be the courageous churches. And those are the ones who will say, okay, no further. We're, we're not going any further. Call us any name you want. Fire us. Get me out of my job. I don't care. We're going to stand here. I've heard doctors say, uh, you know, very believing doctors will tell me, maybe I'm not going to be able to be a doctor in the very near future because I can't comply with what they're they're telling me to do. But God has another plan for me next. You know, he, yeah. he knows I, I've been laid off six times in broad it's common in broadcasting. A couple of times under hostile situations, sometimes just because of finances. Well, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go hungry, you know, my family didn't starve. Uh, yeah. but it does get it does get so bad. You know, the, the point is remember the virgins and the, the foolish virgins? Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of you mean you actually remember that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew 25, absolutely, yeah. Right. Okay, what's the, what's the deal here? As an old pilot, I can tell you this much. It's like the when the fuel warning light comes on, you really start sweating. The, all of the virgins had fuel, but not some of them did not have enough fuel to go the entire trip. I don't know when that rapture is going to happen. I just want to have more fuel than I need to get to the destination, even if I had to go into and through the tribulation. I want that kind of fuel. All right. Yeah. And if I don't need it, praise God, you know, yeah. but if I do. Yeah, no, I, I think that's wise. We we know biblically that the church will not be here during the 70th week. Right. Of, that was a but, theoretical thing. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but that doesn't mean we might not face unbelievable persecution. That's the great 
you know, foolishness of some people who think the rapture is going to rescue us before things get bad. The Bible never teaches that. The rapture is never said to be a rescue before things get bad. It's pretty bad for people all over the world right now that are Christians, but it, it rescues us before the, the great day of the Lord's wrath, that 70th week of Daniel. But that's uh, things could get pretty bad well before then, and in some places they are. Oh, geez, this drove me crazy. In the 1990s, I would tell people the persecution is coming, the change into a world system. You know, the first thing he would say to me, well, Jesus is coming. We're going to be raptured. We don't oh. have to worry about anything like that. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what are my brothers and sisters going through in China, in North Korea, in Iran, right now in Nigeria? Do you realize so far this last year, 4,000 Christians were killed in Nigeria alone mm. for their faith, mm. and the toll is racking up equally as high this year in countries like Nigeria. We don't know when. We have to have enough oil to that moment to— last until you hear the trumpet sound. Whether we are taken up with the Lord or die first is immaterial. What's material is that we keep our faith to the end, and we're still able to say Jesus is Lord, the, though he who holds his faith to the end shall be saved. Yeah, uh, That was yeah. Jesus' promontory. The attack will always be on your faith, JB, always on your faith. Yeah, and thankfully, even if you know, in a moment of weakness, someone puts a gun to our head and we deny the faith, it doesn't mean we're not saved. It, you know, a lot of people have done it. Peter did it three times. You know, the hard part. So. I'm working directly with the pack, the persecuted church in Pakistan right now. We've managed to rescue some of them in exile, in jail, in places like Bangkok. You can do things for them. We've managed to feed them when they were threatened with starvation. And, and we didn't do it. God just simply set it up, and we stepped in and said, hey, who was that masked God that came along? Mm. You know, and did that. <laughs> Amen. All right. That's what we can do right now and yeah. encourage each other. Yeah, so many churches, you know, are uh, focused on little nitpicky things, uh, even churches that are otherwise awake and, and trying to take a, a stand. You know, I've seen Christians get upset over, you know, we got too many people coming to this church and, you know, uh, we, we've had people leave our church because we went to two services because people were pulling in the parking lot and pulling out. There was no place to park. We were packed, jam packed out. And yet, uh, you know, people, they like that. Some people like this sense of smallness and togetherness and it's us versus them. And let's just huddle up and, and lick our wounds and talk about how bad everybody else is. And, and at Plum Creek Chapel anyway, and at not by works in the broader sense, we're out there sounding the alarm. We want people to come far and wide. We get it. There's no perfect church. There, you know, we're certainly not perfect. If you're looking for a church that has it all together, don't come to Plum Creek Chapel. But if you're looking for a church that's going to stand on the Word of God, proclaim the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel, and sound the alarm about the soon coming of Jesus Christ, come on, join us in the battle, you know? Yeah. Remember that the, the book of Revelation, there are seven churches in there, okay? Um. And I think the purpose of that, you know, Tim LaHaye had it, had it all laid out that one of these churches was X church in history. And other. I think it's more, and it can, doesn't have to be either or, it could be both of these. What God is doing is he's talking to the different churches in the end times, telling them to strengthen what remains and hold until mm. I come. Mm. Okay. He's not there to chastise them. Well, he is in a sort of a way saying, you're off base, you've lost your first love, come back to what you did, or don't do this anymore, come back. Yeah. Do that, carry out the Great Commission, rescue those from the fire, pray for those in the persecuted church and help them. That's pretty full. And the rest of the culture worldwide, you know, and I watch what they go through in Pakistan, 
the blasphemy laws are terrible there. Christians live in a constant state of fear. You know, you talked about the gun to the head. Oh, please pull the trigger. Let me just get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Amen. The hard, the hard part is the gnawing angst and anxiety you feel every single day, not knowing whether the police are coming for your family. We have a, a Pakistani family living with us right now who were in hiding in Thailand and in Pakistan for five years. Mm. At one point in Thailand, they were in a one-bedroom apartment with a balcony and bath, five people in one room for mm. three years straight, but always afraid when they went out because they could be arrested by the police and thrown in a horrible place called the Immigration Detention Center. Living with the angst and anxiety is far worse often than just standing up and saying, please cut my head off. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, I tell you what, we we have, we have it so good. You know, here in America, you know, people are worried about what if the CBDC is rolled out or what if the economic crash happens or what if this or what if that. Look, God's grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness, Paul said. We do need to prepare. I've talked about that extensively through the years at NBW Ministries. We have a 12-page preparedness guide. But at the end of the day, you cannot prepare for everything. It comes down to faith, walking by faith and not by sight. And I've met that pastor that you're talking about, uh, incredible man of God and an inspiration. Uh, and uh, I'm, I just wish more Christians had the opportunity to think globally and realize that the kinds of stuff that if the Lord tarries is coming, we're going to experience in America are, are not unprecedented. God's people have gone through this before, uh, and God is gracious, God is sufficient, and life is on earth is just a speck on the timeline of eternity. I mean, as you said, uh, so what if if our number is up? You know, this is death for the believer is just the golden key that unlocks the riches of eternity. And we're not to take our own life ever. Life is valuable. The, the Bible clearly teaches the sanctity of life. Correct. We're to keep fighting and serving and war, doing warfare until the Lord calls us home. But if he calls us home, great. Now we we leave this world soul under sin with all of its, you know, deplorable conditions and instead, we get to be in the presence of our Lord. So it's it's right. that kind of heavenly perspective that I wish more Christians had. Yeah, and and that's it. And I found it will come down in the times of trial to things may get so bad in your own personal life. I've had this happen where you're almost paralyzed by fear. There's just so much going wrong that, and this happened to me at one point. I just finally had to say, okay, God, everything's going to heck in a handbasket around me. What do you want me to do for the next five minutes? <laughs> Literally, I was yeah. down to that. And you and you would hear it immediately. You'd go, go do this. And yeah. get done with it. Okay, that's done. What do I do next? And you go do that. And you would find at the end of an hour or two, everything had worked itself out. Yeah. You know, the, the critical stuff. Yeah, I call that do the next thing. You know, I've been there. We've all been there to some extent uh, or another, and some people are more aware, self-aware of it than others. But I, our journey, we've had times exactly like you just described. And when that happens, you just got to go do the next thing. Whatever it is, we're going to do it. So that's where we are. And pray for everybody. Pray for those suffering for their faith. Pray for those right, who right. are doing ministry. Oh, Pastor Ross, you've just walked yeah, in. Yeah, introduce us to Pastor. He oh, just walked we... in. Our folks listening can't see him, but, but I can see him. Good to see you, brother. You are... Uh, just we were just talking about what an inspiration you are, and uh, appreciate your example of standing firm in the faith. Did you hear that? I'm sorry. No. I, I don't think he heard you there. I had to take my headphones off. He said, "He said, uh, say it again, JB. I forgot." Can can he hear now? 
Yes. yes. Okay. Sorry. So you're we, one thing we've established is you're not a lip reader. <laughs> Praise <laughs> God. So I was just saying what an inspiration you are uh, to 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 all of us. And I, I, I really appreciated meeting you when I was there in CDA not long ago. But, uh, you know, thank you for being an example of those who are willing to stand firm in the faith as God's word tells us to. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I believe that God have a purpose for our life. Amen. And we're praying for you, brother. We are praying for you. And we need your prayer always. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, for being with us on the program uh, today. We've been talking about sleepy Christians and apostasy in the last days. Apostasy is a falling away from the faith. It's happening all around us. It's this wokus pocus, as you talked about. But I tell you, the time just flew by. And I want to close with this one verse uh, that I've mentioned already. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And that's what uh, we want to call believers to do. John, I, I am so thankful for you. I hope we'll, you'll allow us to uh, invite you back on again. I'd love to make this a regular thing. I know you're trying to enjoy retirement, but no, you've no, no, just no. got I haven't, so much I haven't to say. Yeah. People have asked, how do you like your retirement? I said, when I start retiring, I'll let you know. <laughs> I get it. But, uh, well, we can do that. Geopolitical updates are sort of my forte of watching this global system form. I would love that and, and just consider it uh, uh, an open invitation. I'll circle back with you offline and we'll schedule our next one. But you are a blessing, my friend. And uh, don't forget on Facebook, uh, if you search Praying for Persecuted Christians, my wife and I keep regular stories from multiple sources there so you can pray for people in prison, threatened with death, etc. Amen. Praying for Persecuted Christians on Facebook. Any other uh, websites or social media sites you want to promote? No, I I just uh, killed off the, the our Steel on Steel site. God <laughs> just said, shut it down, go through a sabbatical here, and uh, wait until I give you the next instruction. Amen. Well, thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you, as always, for your faithful encouragement and support. Uh, things are definitely heating up. I can tell the spiritual warfare is on the rise. I've spent uh, quite a few hours over the last few days uh, working on my new book, Spirit of the False Prophet, Hacking and Tracking Humanity. And I can just tell as I'm putting pen to paper, figuratively speaking, uh, things are are heating up. We even got some news today of uh, uh, some uh, you know negative things that are happening financially that uh, have kind of got us just trusting the Lord. We'll see how that works out over the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, we covet your prayers. Every encouraging email or text uh, or, or note on our Rumble channel or our Podbean channel, we read them. We don't always get to respond, but know that it's a blessing and the Lord is using your encouragement to us. So thank you very much. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you Sunday, either live stream or at Plum Creek Chapel. And I got another whole host of things lined up for next week's uh, podcast. I'll be on David Fiorazzo's Stand Up for the Truth next week. Uh, but we will uh, keep you posted on all those things. Until then, God bless you, everyone. Have a great weekend. And thanks again, John.